And I hope you felt the presence of God here uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 22 this morning. And we're in the middle of a series entitled, What is it going to take for us to become the church and the people that God wants us to be? And so far, we've talked about the need to align with God's vision. We've talked about the need that our lives need to be defined by obedience. And last week, I shared with you the first part of this message from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. And we discovered if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be in the church that God wants to be, that we have to truly follow Jesus without excuse. And that word truly, it means to the fullest extent. It means to the greatest degree. It means genuinely follow him. And if we're going to follow Jesus without excuse to the fullest extent, we discovered last week that we have to understand that there are challenges to overcome. Because we are strangers in this world, we are going to have challenges when we follow Jesus. But we have to overcome those challenges. We also looked at that there are choices to be made. That we have to choose to follow his plans or our plans. That we have to choose his priorities or our priorities. And then finally, we discussed how there is a commitment to be fulfilled. That when we follow Jesus, that we have to look forward and not look back. We can't have one eye on Jesus and one eye on the world. So this morning, I want to share with you the second part of the message. And that is this. If we're going to be the people and the church that God wants us to be and has called us to be, we have to follow him with whatever the cost. And why is this word follow so crucial to those of us who've given our lives to Christ? Because the moment you give your life to Christ, what you are telling God is that you want to follow Him. But I'm not sure that we really grasp the meaning of what it means when we say, I want to follow Jesus. As I said last week, if we want to truly understand what it means to follow Jesus, we have to look at the Greek word for follow, which is a kalutheo. It occurs 90 times in the New Testament, 79 times in the Gospels, which we know the Gospels are focused on Jesus. So this idea of a kalutheo, this idea of follow, is deeply connected to Jesus in the idea of discipleship. And I told you last week how this word akalotheo, it, it means to attach oneself to Jesus. It means to surrender oneself to Jesus. It means to accept his leadership into our lives. But instead of desiring to follow Jesus in his word, we tend to have more of the desire to follow other people or other things. Sometimes we tend to follow family. Sometimes we tend to follow friends. Sometimes we maybe want to follow a celebrity or someone on social media or a politician. Or maybe you want to follow the news media, which I advise you not to, but that's another discussion. You may want to follow what's trending on the internet. But here's the problem with this. People and things are going to disappoint you. People and things are going to discourage you. People and things are going to let you down. And some things we often put a little too much trust in is our GPS, our global positioning system. GPS can be a great tool, but can also be very, very misleading. Chicago, June 2017 is a perfect example for me and my family. We've never been to Chicago before, so we were leaving Chicago. And so we were leaving, we wanted to go to this great pizza restaurant called Giordano's. 
And I recommend if you're in Chicago, you go to Giordano's. But we went to the restaurant, had a great meal, and I had five glasses of tea. Those of you who know me love, I love sweet tea. I had five glasses. That was my first mistake. When we left the restaurant, we decided to turn on our global positioning system, thinking it was going to take us the quickest and the best way home. About 10 minutes into the trip, I realized we were in trouble. We were in six lanes of stop-and-go traffic in the downtown Chicago. If you've ever been to Chicago, traffic doesn't move very fast. Remember, I drank five glasses of tea. It took five, not five hours, seemed like five hours. It took us at least two hours to go just a few miles. And I got to the point where I really said to my family, and they make fun of me to this day, I think I'm going to have a bladder infection. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. I just had to suck it up. And I was so relieved the moment we got out of that traffic. I've never been so relieved in my life. But you know what? My GPS let me down. My GPS disappointed me. But I can tell you this, Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never disappoint you. And that's something that we need to remember as we go through this message today. And if you truly follow Jesus, I hope you'll experience that fact that Jesus is our hope. He is the one that we can trust. He is the one that we can follow, no matter the excuses no matter the cost. So let's get into Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As we go through this passage, I want you to ask God to show you what needs to change in your life so that you are following Him, whatever the cost. Let's read, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4. As he, meaning Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, his brother Andrew, They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them. I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. The first thing I want to share with you this morning, if we're going to follow Jesus, whatever the cost, we have to realize that our convenience has to be discarded. Our convenience has to be discarded. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Peter and Andrew casting their nets, and he saw James and John in the boat with their father Zebedee. And he said to Peter and and his brother, and he said to James and John, he said, follow me. Now, I want you to understand these men already knew about Jesus. In fact, he had talked to Peter and Andrew in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Jesus had been preaching in the area. They knew of Jesus. They had heard of Jesus. And when when Jesus called them, they knew what kind of man Jesus was. And by saying, follow me, Jesus was calling these fishermen to now become his disciples. You see, in those days, the common pattern was for the students to seek out a rabbi of whom they wanted to attach themselves to and learn more from. But in this case, Jesus authoritatively, he sought out, he called his own disciples. And in their context, this was a huge thing for Jesus to do. And notice when Jesus called these men, 
They were minding their own business. They were preparing their nets. They were making repairs. They were cleaning their nets. They were folding their nets. They were getting ready to go fishing, and they were interrupted by Jesus. And these men could have seen this interruption by Jesus as an inconvenience. They could have ignored Jesus. They could have brushed him aside. They could have continued doing what they were doing, but they didn't. Because when Jesus spoke to them, these men listened. And what happens when we get interrupted? We often see our interruptions as inconveniences. We may have a tendency to get agitated or a tendency to get frustrated or to remove the interruption as quick as possible so we can get back to what we are doing. We say we're busy. We say we don't have time. And as a parent, I know this from an experience, you're in the middle of something and your child comes to you and says, Daddy or Mommy, come look at this. Or Daddy or Mommy, come play with me. And oftentimes as parents, we may think or say, well, not right now. I'm busy. Maybe later. Wait until I'm done. When my boys were younger, I would come home from work, and as soon as I opened the door, I could hear them say, Daddy's home. And they'd run up to me and say, Daddy, will you play with me? Now, it doesn't happen anymore. They don't even know I exist as teenagers. They don't even know when I'm home. I'm sure you parents have experienced that same transition, but that's what they would do when they were younger. And I was tired, and I was worn out. All I wanted to do was change clothes and rest and relax and and it was an interruption to my plans. But often I would put my stuff down, change my clothes, and I would go and make time with them and play with them because I realized that time is short. And I realized if I didn't play with them then and take advantage of that moment, that was a moment I would not get back. But you see, when Jesus interrupts our lives, how often do we see it as an inconvenience? How often do we tell him, not right now, Jesus, I'm busy. Right, not right now, Jesus, why don't you wait until I'm done? Not right now, Jesus, I don't have time. But you know what? When Jesus interrupts our lives, we need to take time to listen. And we need to attach ourselves to him. And we need to see an interruption by Jesus, not as an inconvenience, but as an opportunity to hear from God, as an opportunity to respond to God. And we have to understand that truly following Jesus, it's not about our convenience. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our schedule. Following Jesus is about our obedience. And you may feel that God is inconveniencing you because he's asking you to do something that you don't feel equipped to do. If this is the case, I want you to remember this, and this is something I heard a long time ago, and it stuck with me. It says, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they were not equipped to do what Jesus was asking them to do. But they were willing to trust him and follow him. And I would say almost everyone in Scripture God calls was interrupted and they were not equipped to do what God had called them to do. But you know what God did? He gave them what they needed to accomplish the task that he called them to. I think of Abraham. When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham really didn't know God. God was new to him. And God told him to leave his family, to leave his security and follow him. And that's what Abraham did. I think of Moses. God spoke to him in the middle of the desert from a burning bush. 
as Moses was tending sheep and he told Moses, follow me, lead my people. Moses made excuses, but God answered every excuse and Moses wound up following Jesus. I think of David as a shepherd boy. He was tending sheep, taking food to his brothers, minding his own business. And God told Samuel to anoint him as the next king of Israel. You know, I think of Peter, Paul, and Mary, not the rock band, but the biblical disciples or the biblical characters. Jesus interrupted Peter's life. Jesus on the road to Damascus interrupted Paul's life. God interrupted Mary as a teenager to announce to her that she was going to be the mother of Jesus. None of these people were expecting God to interrupt their lives. They had their own plans. They were doing their own things, but God entered the picture and had a different plan. And they had to discard their, inconvenience, their convenience. And if we truly want to follow Jesus, we have to discard our conveniences as well. The second thing I want to mention is that not only do, does convenience have to be discarded if we want to truly follow Jesus, but control has to be relinquished. Notice they didn't listen to Jesus. They responded to Jesus. They just didn't listen to him. They responded to him because they understood that Jesus' call was not to be taken lightly. They surrendered to him and obeyed him immediately. Scripture says they left their nets. That word left means completely abandoned. It has the idea of decisive action. They stopped doing what was occupying their time. And the word nets, it covers all the nets that they would need for their profession. And they did not make excuses. They didn't tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm busy. They didn't tell Jesus, maybe I'll think about it. They didn't say, maybe later, Jesus. They didn't even say, let's pray about it. And I compare that to what we looked at last week in Luke 9, 57 to 62, where one man that wanted to follow Jesus wanted to first go and bury his father the other man wanted to say goodbye to his family these disciples didn't even give the Baptist no you know what the Baptist no is when you ask someone if they're willing to do something they say let me pray about it more often times than not now there are times where people will surprise you and they'll come back and say yes I'd love to do that but more often than not let me pray about it is is interpreted as the Baptist, no. But let me say something about that. As believers, we need to be asking God continually, what do you want me to do? And then when someone approaches you and asks you to do something for the kingdom of God, the person will be asked by you saying yes instead of no. Why? Because you have been asking all along what God wants you to do. And then God puts that opportunity in your lap. And when someone asks you to do something for him, you've been prepared for that moment by God. And when that opportunity presents itself, you can be ready with your answer just like these disciples were ready with their answer. We should always be praying and asking God, what does he want us to do? God, how do you want to use me? And then when someone asks you to do something, you can say, God has been preparing me for this moment and giving me this opportunity to say yes, and I'm going to say yes because I want to follow Jesus. It's exactly what these fishermen did. They were now committing themselves, surrendering themselves to be followers of Jesus and to be fishers of men. These guys were all in. And let's not pretend this didn't cost them nothing. 
Simon and Andrew left their nets. Fishing was not just their job, it was their identity. Fishing was their livelihood, and they left it behind. James and John left their father Zebedee in the, bo- in the boat to follow Jesus. And I've always wondered what was going through Zebedee's mind as his two boys walked out of that boat and began following Jesus and left him with the boat and all the nets. And I was wondering what was going through the disciples' mind. James and John, as they left that boat and looked back and saw that, their father in the boat all along, all alone. But you know what? That didn't stop them from following Jesus. You see, to follow Jesus was going to cost them that family closeness. It was going to cost them that strongest family tie. And leaving one's family and one's livelihood, that was a rare and serious commitment. And I've experienced this in my own life. In January 1996, when I finally surrendered to God's call on my life to go to seminary, I remember saying goodbye to my family and packing up my 1986 Ford Tempo, packing it full, which isn't very much for a 1986 Ford Tempo. But I packed it full, backed it out of the driveway, and went to Fort Worth, Texas. I knew no one in Fort Worth, Texas. I just knew God was calling me to go to seminary, and that's where he wanted me to go. And I followed God's call, and I'm glad I did, because that's where I fulfilled my call to ministry, and that's where I met my wife as well. If I would have never went to seminary, my path and Joni's path would never have crossed. Now, she may wish I would have never went to seminary, but I don't know. But those paths would have never crossed. And after seminary, Joni and I were, were asking God where he wanted us to serve, and we were thinking Texas or Alabama or somewhere in between to be close to family. Got a letter from a church in California, never heard of the place. Milpitas, California. Had to look it up on a map. Had no idea how they got my name. Had never sent a resume there. Had no contact with anybody in California. Didn't even know anybody in California. But this letter arrived in the mail, and Joni and I put it in. We had a reject pile and an accept pile. It went in the reject pile real quick. A few days later, we got a call from the chairman. He said, you filled out that letter yet or that application? I said, nope, not planning on it. Not going to do it. He said, I want you to really pray about it because I really want you to fill it out. I said, okay. A couple weeks went by, he kept calling and calling. I finally said, Joni, just to get him off my back, I'm going to fill it out. No desire. But through an incredible set of circumstances, God called us to California and we went. Would have never imagined that's what God was going to do with me after I graduated seminary. And then seven years later, God called us here to Richmond, Kentucky, to Red House Baptist Church, to another incredible set of circumstances. But you know what? In my ministry experience, I've never been that close to family. Over the years, we've had opportunities to move and be closer. But we always felt that where we were is where God wanted us to be, and we wasn't going to just make a move out of convenience or out of comfort. The only reason we were going to move is because God gave us permission to. Has it been hard at times? Absolutely. Yes, it's been hard. But I have always, well, most of the time, it took me a while to get there. But since God got my attention, I've always tried to follow God's call over convenience and comfort. And that's what these disciples were doing. They were following God's call. They were relinquishing control to him. And when we relinquish control to God, we are not only following Jesus, but we are following his example. 
I think back to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was arrested. Before he was arrested, he prayed that, that, God's, that his will be done. He said, not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. He prayed that several times before his arrest and his crucifixion. Why did Jesus say, not my will be done, but your will be done? Talking about God the Father. Because Jesus knew that what he was about to experience was going to be painful. He knew it wasn't going to be comfortable. And actually the word, word excruciating comes from, from that, that experience Jesus had on the cross. Excruciating means out of the cross. So when you have excruciating pain, it's referring to the type of pain that Jesus experienced on the cross, which none of us will ever experience. But Jesus himself said, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And in spite of what Jesus knew, he was willing to be obedient to the Father. In spite of these, the cost that these guys faced, they were willing to follow Jesus. They were willing to be his disciples, and they didn't think twice about following him. They responded to Jesus with authoritative and immediate and, dare I say, radical obedience. And by the way, immediate obedience to God shouldn't have to be called radical obedience. Immediate obedience to God shouldn't have to be called radical obedience because that should be our normal response to Him. As a parent, you shouldn't have to say that your child is radically obedient. You should just have to say, my child is obedient, and immediate obedience should be implied. We shouldn't have to radically follow Jesus. We shouldn't have to be radical Christians. We should have to be normal Christians who simply uphold the teaching of God's word and follow him. And if these men would have delayed their obedience, they would have been disobedient. And the same with us. If we delay our obedience to God, we're being disobedient to God. The problem is we like to being in control. We like to have control. But when you surrender to God, you're saying, God, you now have control of my life. Growing up, I'm sure you played this game too. It was called follow the leader. I didn't like it unless I was the leader. If I wasn't the leader, I didn't want to play. I probably wasn't very nice, but that's the way I was. Why? Because I didn't like to follow. I wanted to be the one in control. Isn't it like that with our relationship with God? We don't like to relinquish control. We're willing to follow God as long as he is going in the direction we like. But the moment he asks us to change course, the moment he asks us to change directions, is the moment we tend to question, the moment we tend to doubt, the moment we tend to disobey. And we must remember that God has, that we have not asked to follow God, but that God has asked that we follow him. We have not asked God to follow us. God has asked us to follow him. And there's a big, big difference. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian and pastor in Nazi Germany in the 1940s, he was arrested by the Nazis in 1943 for his staunch oppression and resistance to Hitler and what he was doing. And he was hung in the Flossenburg concentration camp on April 9, 1945. He wrote one of the greatest books ever written on discipleship called The Cost of Discipleship. But this is what he said. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. 
What was he saying? He was saying becoming a disciple of Jesus is not something that we offer Jesus, but it's something that he offers to us. So when Jesus called these men to follow him, he wasn't asking them to just hang out with him. He was asking them to surrender to his call to relinquish control. And according to Matthew, they didn't hesitate. It says they followed Jesus immediately. And if we say we're a follower of Jesus, we should do the exact same thing. When God says to us, follow me, we should do it immediately. It's obvious these four men, they were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. And unlike the three men in Luke chapter 9, these men were not going to let anything stand in their way or keep them from becoming disciples and followers of Christ. So when Jesus calls us, we just don't need to acknowledge Jesus. We just don't need to listen to Jesus. We need to respond to him. And when Jesus interrupts our life and says, follow me, the only right response is immediate surrender. Drop what we're doing and do what he wants us to do. Be willing to give up what we want for what he wants. And instead of saying, Lord, no, not me, we need to say, yes, Lord, send me. Yes, Lord, I will do it. So I ask you in your own life, what do you need to relinquish control of? To truly follow Jesus. The third thing I want to say is that change is required. Not only do you have to discard convenience, not only do you have to relinquish control if you truly want to follow Jesus, you have to change. Because of their obedience, not only did Jesus interrupt their lives, but he changed the lives of these men. These men couldn't stay the same the moment they agreed to follow Jesus. Change had to occur. And this is what exactly happened in the lives of these men. All you have to do is go to the book of Acts and look how God used these fishermen. Read the book of Acts and see the transformation that took place in Peter's life from the Gospels to the book of Acts. It's an incredible transformation. Peter went to hiding after Jesus was crucified to being out in front and one of the primary leaders of ushering in the kingdom of God willing to give his life for Jesus in the book of Acts. There was a transformation that took place in the lives of these men when they said, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus called these fishermen. He called them to be fishers of men. He connected their present way of life to their former way of life. He said, now you're just not going to be fishermen. You're going to fish for men. What do you mean by that? You're going to tell people about me and bring them into the kingdom of God. You're going to follow me, and I'm going to show you how it's done and what it's about. And then after I leave, after I leave, you're going to be my representatives here on this earth to continue sharing and spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way these fishermen could become fishers of men and for that transformation to take place is if they truly followed Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, he said this. He said, it's no longer a question of taking fish out of the lake, but of drawing, up, drawing men up out of the abyss of sin and death, catching them in the great net of God. You see, Jesus changed these men. He changed their focus. You see, and when we follow Jesus, our lives will be changed by Christ as well. 
If you truly follow Jesus, there will be a complete transformation that takes place in your life. Why? Because you're following him and you're desiring to be made into the image of Christ. And that's exactly what the desire was of Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. And there are several things Jesus will transform. The first thing is he'll change our perspective. When you truly follow Jesus, his perspective will become our perspective. And instead of seeing things through the eyes of the world, we'll see things through the eyes of Christ. We'll have a biblical worldview and not a secular worldview. How we view things should be different. How we approach things should be different. How we think about things should be different. How we talk should be different. How we treat others should be different. I think of an example. Luke's going to not like me, but I'm going to do it here anyway. He was about three or four years old and... Luke had said something, and I don't remember exactly what he said. He said something like, you're stupid, or they're stupid, or that's stupid. It was a big word for him back then. He said it at the table. Joni looked at him, and he said, I don't want to ever hear those words in this house again. Luke, without missing a beat, looked up at her, and he said, how about outside, Mommy? (laughs) That is a true story. You see, he was trying to push the boundaries. He was trying to push the envelope. He was trying to see a way what he could get away with. But isn't that how we often treat our relationship with God? We try to push the boundaries. We try to push the envelope. We try to see how far we can go without truly following God. You see, Jesus will change our perspective. He'll also change our principles. When we truly follow Jesus, his principles will become our principles. We will have a different set of principles that govern our lives when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Because how we live our lives should now be based on the word of God and the character of God and not on the world. See, as believers, we're to have the mind of Christ. We're to think like Christ. We're to act like Christ. We're to love like Christ. We're to walk like Christ. And the world's values and the world's principles should have nothing to do with our lives and no longer be part of our lives. Because it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what culture says or the news media or social media or our government says. It only matters what God's Word says. If the Bible says it's right, it's right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's not up for debate. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral or biblical. Morality is based on God's character and God's word and not the world. You see, the Bible says there are two genders, male and female. What's God mean by that? It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter what's on a government form. It only matters who God created you to be. The Bible says homosexuality is wrong. You know what? It's wrong. The Bible says abortion is wrong. It says adultery is wrong. It says lust is wrong. It says bad language is wrong. Unforgiveness is wrong. It says worry is wrong. The Bible says love our enemies, turn the other cheek, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. If the Bible is right, it's right. I mean, if the Bible says it's right, it's right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. You cannot choose what to believe and not to believe about God's Word. You have to take all of it or leave all of it. There's no in-between. 
And if we truly follow Christ, we have to uphold Scripture. Deuteronomy 5, 32 to 33, God said this, Be careful to do what the Lord your God's commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong prolong your days in a land that you will possess. He said, do what I tell you to do. All of it. There's no wiggle room. There's nothing up for debate, nothing up for discussion. Don't turn aside to the left or to the right. Walk in obedience to all that I have commanded you to do. See, God will change our perspective. He'll change our principles. He'll also change our priorities. When we truly follow Jesus, his priorities become our priorities. And what's important to us must change. And it's not the things that are priority to us are not important because family's important, job's important, friends are important, money's important. It's just that these things cannot become as important as Jesus. And instead of our priority being what's important to us, our priority needs to be what's important to God. You say, what's important to God? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. God says, love me with all that you have. And he said, the second command is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what's important to God? Loving him and loving others. The the last thing is that Jesus will change our plans. If you truly follow Jesus, he'll change your perspective, he'll change your principles, he'll change your priorities. He'll also change your plans. This is true in my life. God's plans definitely were not my plans. And what I wanted to do with my life is not what God wanted me to do with my life. And if I truly was going to follow Jesus, his plans had to become my plans. I had to realize what Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I think it puts things in perspective for us. Galatians 2, 19 through 20. Paul wrote this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does Paul say? That when you give your life to Christ, that your life is no longer your own, but your life belongs to him. You see, when these men went fishing that day, they had no idea that Jesus was going to change their plans. They thought their day was going to be a normal day. They were preparing to go fishing. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, Hey, guys, I have a different plan for you. And when they followed Jesus, these men had no idea what was ahead of them. They had no idea what it was going to be like. And I think if they would have known what it was going to be like, they probably wouldn't have said, Follow me, Jesus. They probably wouldn't have said, Jesus, I will follow you. They probably would have given it some thought. But these men, they were willing to follow Jesus because they trusted him. They had no idea how they were going to be instrumental in spreading the gospel and be on the ground floor of ushering in God's kingdom and starting the first churches and bringing thousands and thousands to Christ. You see, when we follow God's plan, we, most of the time we have no idea 
what's going, what our life is going to look like. I sure didn't. We don't know how God's going to use us, but just like these fishermen, we need to follow him. We need to trust him, and we need to obey him. Psalm 62, 8, the psalmist says, trust in him at all times. Trust in him at all times. The psalmist didn't say trust in him sometimes. Trust in him at all times. And I think of Isaiah 55, 8, 9, where, where God said that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, when we truly follow Jesus, we have no idea what, how our lives may turn out. But I can promise you this, your life will turn out a lot better than you think if you follow him. Just ask these disciples. Well, you see, when we trust and obey Jesus, we'll be amazed about how God's going to work in our lives. And we'll be amazed about how God is going to use us. So instead of us asking God to approve our plans, we need to follow his plans and accept his leadership in our life. And usually the reason we ignore Jesus when he interrupts our lives and says, follow me, is because we don't want to change. We like our lives the way they are. We like our dreams. We like our goals. We like our, our plans. We like our desires. But we must understand that Jesus did not give his life for us for nothing to change. He gave his life so we could be changed. And if we truly follow Jesus, he will change our lives just like he changed the lives of these four men. In closing, in Matthew 16, 24, I referred to this verse last week. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know what Jesus is saying? If you want to truly follow me, you have to do it without excuse, and you have to do it with whatever the cost. And if we want to be the church and the people that God wants us to be, this is exactly what must happen in our lives. We have to follow Jesus without excuse and whatever the cost. And we just can't say that we want to be followers of Jesus. We have to show how we live our lives that we are followers of Jesus. So if you look at your life this morning, I want you to think about this. Are you willing to follow him whatever the cost? Are you willing to follow Jesus whatever the cost? Are you willing to discard your convenience and your comfort? Are you willing to relinquish control? Are you willing for Jesus to change your perspective or your plans or your priorities or your principles? Are you willing to attach yourself to him and surrender to him and give him complete leadership in your life? Jesus has done his part. He's given all he can give. He's given his life for us. Now it's up to each one of us to do our part. We need to give every area of our lives to him. The question is, are you willing? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to give your life to him so you can begin following him. You can't follow Jesus unless you've given your life to Jesus. So maybe this morning you're here, you need to come forward and say, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Or maybe you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, and I just ask you, are you truly following him, whatever the cost? Maybe you need to choose Christ over convenience. 
Maybe you need to give him total control of every area of your life. Maybe there are some areas in your life that you're holding back and you're holding on to because you like them the way they are. But you can't truly follow Jesus unless you give him every part of your life. Or maybe you need to allow him to change you and change your perspective, to change your principles, to change your plans, or to change your priorities. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to follow Jesus in baptism. I'd encourage you to come forward and we'd love to show you how you can follow him in baptism if you've given your life to him. Maybe God is calling you to join this fellowship of believers at Red House Baptist Church. Maybe there's another decision that God is laying on your heart. Whatever you need to do this morning is, as Bill comes and leads us in this song of commitment. I want you to do business with God this morning. You can do it where you are. If you need to come to the altar, you can come to the altar. But I just want you to think about the cost that Jesus paid for you. And I want you to think about what are you willing to do for him. So after I pray, I want you to come as we sing. Father, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that Jesus went to the cross for us and gave his life for us so that we could have life. But God, help us to understand what it truly means to follow you. God, we just can't say we want to follow you. We have to do it. We have to give you control of our lives. We have to allow you to change us. We have to discard our convenience and our comfort. And God, I pray that we would ask you each day, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? God, may we be willing for you to interrupt our lives the way that you interrupted the lives of these fishermen. And Father, may our response be the same as these men. Jesus, I will follow you without excuse in whatever the cost. Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray they would come forward and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I want to start living for him and following him. And for those of us who've made that decision, God, help us to allow you to examine our lives and may we be willing for you to show us what needs to change in our lives so we can truly follow you. Lord, if there are other decisions that need to be made this morning, I pray that those decisions would be made as well. God, we thank you for this time of worship through the music and through your word. And now, Father, I just ask that, that people would respond to the call that you've placed on their lives this morning. We love you. We praise you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Come as we sing. Amen.